Hannah Staver, and this is Ohio Politics Explained, a podcast where you give us 15 minutes and we give you all the news you need to sound smart and impress your friends when you go out this weekend. Welcome back to another episode of Ohio Politics Explained, the She Does Exist edition. This week, we're talking about the now famous case of an Ohio girl crossing state lines for an abortion and how that ended up in Franklin County Court, how lawmakers on both sides of this issue quickly reacted to the news of that arrest, why one state lawmaker wants you to be able to always pay in cash, and finally, our favorite ongoing topic, redistricting, and how that's impacting public education. Joining me this week is our fearless leader, Anthony Shoemaker. Welcome back to the show, Anthony. It's great to be back. Slow news week. Yeah, very slow. No, I, I keep hoping, like, eventually, like, the summer is supposed to be a typically slower news season. And I just, I keep waiting for that to happen. Yeah, I saw on uh, some websites just before coming in here that uh, that Donald Trump has made a decision about running for president. They're just waiting to find out when it's going to be announced. So I think your dream of a slow news week isn't going to happen for a long time. I can rest when I'm dead. But our first topic is the girl from Ohio who went to Indiana for an abortion. On Wednesday, we got more details about what happened and learned the name of the man accused of sexually assaulting her. Here's what we know. On June 22nd, an investigation started in Franklin County Children's Services after her mother reported the alleged rape. On June 30th, she traveled to Indiana for an abortion because her doctor here in Ohio detected what we call fetal cardiac activity. Ohio's new abortion law says that almost all abortions are illegal after that point. regardless of a person's age or how that child was conceived. The only exemptions are serious and irreversible physical damage to a person or death. Basically, it's a life of the mother exemption. So Gerson Fuentes, a 27-year-old man who's been living undocumented in Columbus for about seven years, was arraigned and charged with sexual assault on Wednesday. He is currently being held in Franklin County Jail on $2 million bond. He cannot pay that bond, so he is in jail if anybody is curious. The doctor in Indiana turned over tissue and blood samples to confirm that Fuentes was indeed the father. I think we're still waiting on those results. And police testified in court that when detectives spoke to Fuentes through an interpreter, he admitted to the sexual contact. So those are just like the facts of the case as we know them to be right now. Yes. Uh, They said that uh, he had at least two uh, instances with the uh, young girl, at least sex with her twice, basically saying. Yeah. And so now that we have the facts of the case out and we kind of know a little bit more about what happened and how it happened, you know, we're going to kind of move into a second topic, but it's going to kind of these are kind of a merged topic. And that's the reaction to the, the fact that this girl is real, because there's been some speculation in recent days that she might not exist and that the doctor from Indiana who performs abortions basically might have made her up. Yeah, there. I mean, there were newscasts on uh, Fox News. There were articles in the Wall Street Journal, the New York Post, questioning whether or not this case was true. Because at first, you know, it was one doctor in Indiana talking about the girl. But what people didn't realize is, you know, you're dealing with the sexual assault of a child. These things take time to get the details out. And a lot of times people can't talk about them for, for legal reasons. But everybody wanted to, to go on TV row and, and write about this case and question it instead of waiting for the facts to come out. And then the facts came out that, that this is real and the, the girl does exist. It wasn't made up. Yeah, the initial report to Family Services was June 22nd, which was two days before the Roe decision. And so, yeah, this case was in motion before that decision even came down. But it takes time to collect DNA samples. It takes time for police to do proper investigation and interview witnesses to get this all in front of a judge. Like the wheels of justice do not turn nearly as quickly, I think, as people would want them to. 
Right, and you don't know the situations of the family. I mean, they, they may have kept it, wanted to, to keep it a secret for a while. I mean, it's 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 an embarrassing thing for it's, a family to have to talk about this sort of thing and the attention that it, that yeah. it can draw. Yeah, and so. we still don't know whether Fuentes has any kind of relationship to the family or in what circumstances he met this young girl. Like, it could be a very complicated and difficult family dynamic. Right. And, you know, that but Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost is taking a lot of heat on this because he did imply on Fox News less than 24 hours before Fuentes was in court that he hadn't heard so much as a whiff that this was true. And even Ohio Representative Jim Jordan tweeted and then deleted an accusation that this story was a lie. Yeah, I mean, it is a hard story to to believe something this horrible would happen. But, you know, Dave Yost, these people being lawyers and politicians should know that, you know, like you said, the wheels of justice don't always turn quickly, that it was going to take a while for the facts to come out in this case. Yeah. And now they seem to be pivoting to the idea that pregnancy in 10 year olds is always life threatening and therefore would be exempted under this life of the mother protection that Ohio has. Um, the attorney general implied that, you know, this girl could have gotten an abortion here in Ohio, but Haley, That's not what the law says. No. So my colleague Haley B. Miller and I actually spent most of today reporting this theory out, and it doesn't appear to be true because as crazy as it sounds, there are several cases in recent history where 10 and 11-year-old children have delivered healthy babies. Right. I mean, it's, 10 or 11-year-olds can be bigger than some adults, you know, physically. Yes. So they, they can't deliver healthy babies. Now, right. And cesarean section also makes it possible, as this is a very difficult thing to say, but if you do not believe that a child is developed enough to deliver vaginally, cesarean section has been an option in a lot of these cases. So like modern medicine has actually made this more possible. Right. And it's really difficult, I think, for people to, to stomach because there is sort of a question, I think, for a lot of folks out there, for a lot of people that I've interviewed today is just because a 10-year-old could survive delivering a child, does that mean that she should? Right. And I think that's where you're going to see pressure on lawmakers to make changes to the current Ohio law. Will they make changes? Who knows? But I think when they when they come back from after the election, there's going to be people wanting some kind of exception for children or some kind of exception for rape. Yeah, which there currently is not. Our third topic is about cash money and the COVID-19 pandemic. You might have noticed over the last two years how more and more businesses have switched to cashless payments, even contactless payments. Um, sports stadiums are a big place where this has happened. Actually, even Columbus City Schools is now cashless at its like high school sporting events. Well, a Republican lawmaker named Bill Blessing has a bit of a problem with this. For one thing, about 5% of Ohioans are unbanked, which means they don't have credit cards, they don't have bank accounts like paying in cash is the way they do most of their things. And then there's this privacy issue. So credit cards, debit cards, they leave these digital paper trails, these records of where we went and what we spent. And cash can be more anonymous. And he thinks people should have that option. Yeah. And 5% is a lot of people. Oh, yeah. Dealing with a state of 11 million citizens. So this is this is important to a lot of people. Yeah. And cash you know, is the only option they have. Yeah. And one of the things that, um, you know, in reporting this out that I hadn't really considered is that there are like prepaid debit cards that you can load and there are all kinds of things, but those come with fees sometimes, right? So you have to pay a fee to load this card to do your grocery shopping. And that's just an extra cost on somebody who may already be low socioeconomic status. So like it's sort of the additional price of being poor, if that makes sense. Yeah. And you also have some vendors, believe it or not, who want to be cash only because uh, they get fees from credit card companies and things like that that are in, taking away from their bottom lines as well. 
Yeah. So the Ohio Chamber of Commerce and the National Federation of Independent Businesses have concerns about this bill. And they basically say this should be a business decision that if you have, say, a convenience store in an area where your customers want cash, then you will take cash. But we shouldn't penalize businesses. We shouldn't find them. We shouldn't let customers sue because they don't accept cash. Right. More and more people are walking around without carrying cash. I hardly ever carry it anymore. I don't know about you, but I'm always like, oh, Oh, I don't think I have cash. Right. I mean, look at uh, parking meters, for example. I mean, a lot of them now, you yeah. can pay them on your phone. You know, people don't even need coins to plug meters anymore. Right. Even when you, like, raise funds amongst, like, a group of coworkers here at the office, we're, like, Venmoing each other for, like, the collective birthday party gift. Right. Our fourth and final topic is redistricting and how it's even impacting public education. So Ohio has this lovely organizational idea where all our state districts have to fit within each other. So state Senate districts are made of three House districts and state Board of Education districts are three Senate districts. So that's how you get 99 House members, 33 senators and 11 elected members of the state Board of Education. I just I'm sorry. I just really love the way they nest into each other. They're like little Russian nesting dolls. I don't know. Like I probably get too excited about the fact that they all fit. But here's the thing. If you don't have constitutional state Senate districts, which we don't technically still have, then how can you draw the state board of education districts? Right. And Governor DeWine uh, has the authority to draw those districts. And he drew them, what, back in January? Off map one. Off of the first map. which We've now done five maps. The Supreme Court long ago <laughs> said that map wasn't any good. Uh, so when we, we have our election this November, those districts will not match up. No, they won't match. And there's a big question about whether that's legal, like whether somebody running for one of these seats could say, hey, my district doesn't actually isn't made from three state Senate districts. Therefore, this district doesn't follow the law. And, you know, legal experts are like, yeah, somebody could sue, but nobody has yet. Not yet. That's a safe way to run an election. Nobody has sued us yet. Yeah. And the State Board of Education, you know, it doesn't get a lot of attention, but it is important. It is getting more attention now nowadays with all the critical race theory and, and other uh, issues, sex education. sex education that school districts are dealing with. Yeah. But they, you know, they set statewide curriculum when a teacher is accused of misconduct. They're, they're the ones who decide whether to revoke or suspend their license. I mean, they, you know, recommend reading materials like they, they have a lot that they do in sort of big picture education in the state. Right. My, uh, you should look up who is your state board of education representative and whether they're up in November and figure out who you want to vote for. That's just my little pitch. <laughs> <laughs> and one more thing before you go. As COVID numbers have dropped, so have the calls for legislation that would exempt people from vaccine mandates. Uh, my colleague Titus Wu took a look at where the medical freedom movement goes from here. And I personally think it's well worth your time. It's kind of, you know, it asks the question, you know, did the moment to pass this kind of legislation? Well, pass. Right. And we'll, you know, we'll see also if uh, the vaccine uh, mandates are going to play a role in the upcoming election in November, especially on the governor's race. So it's still a hot topic. And if you want to learn more about any of the topics we covered, check us out online at any of the newspapers in our network, like daily-jeff.com. <laughs>